On the podcast today, we are going to speak about why the self is an illusion, and we're going to speak about this through the mind science of Buddhism, which is one of the best systems to explain this, and really explores it to its nth degree. And we'll explain that through the five aggregates of Buddhism, but we'll also explain it through the Yogacara school of Mahayana Buddhism. Mm. So you'll have to watch all the way to the end to see the uh, three, especially the the three core components of the Yogacara school of Mahayana Buddhism. And this will unpack whether yourself is real, does it have a tangible essence, or is it something much different, which we'll explain today. So <clears throat> first of all, well, last week's interesting because we spoke about the five patternings of consciousness within the Yoga Sutra, and now we have the five aggregates of Buddhism. And so what are the five aggregates of Buddhism? Well, basically, in Pali, they're called khandhas, and in Sanskrit, they're called skandhas. And they basically mean like a heap or, or a mass, rasi. So um, they mean this, right? So Buddha actually classified the constituents of the body-mind into five categories, which is what we know as the five aggregates of clinging, which is what these are. So we'll get into what those five aggregates are briefly. So we have... First, uh, we have form, which is rupa, and this is basically the physical component. Yes. And what about the second one? Is uh, feeling. feeling. Feeling, yes. yes. That's vedana. Vedana. So that's what the affective tone of experience. So that's either pleasant, uh, painful, mm. neutral. Vedana actually is, is important in vipassana. So the, the practice of the, the awareness of sensations and feeling within the body. Yeah, very important, actually. Yeah. Very important, yeah. And the third one is uh, perception, sana in uh, Pali, which is the identification of, uh, of things through their distinctive marks and features. So that's pretty self-explanatory, right? The, perce- the perceptual faculties yes. that we have. Mm. And number four? And for volition formations. Which is basically samskara, right? Yes. Uh, in Pali, or samskaras, mm. which we've discussed a lot on uh, the podcast. Yeah in Sanskrit, uh, which is basically <clears throat> a term for the multifarious mental faculties involving volition, choice, uh, and intention. So basically the, the, the storehouse or data bank or the, the, the subconscious, the subliminal mental imprints that we accumulate through our life, right? So, And then the fifth one is consciousness, uh, vinana in, mm. in uh, Pali or vigyana in Sanskrit, mm. um, which uh, is pretty self-explanatory. That's the, basically the cognition that arises through any of the six sense faculties, eye, ear, you know, nose, um, tongue, body, and mind. And so those five make up uh, or what constitute the so-called self in Buddhism. Yes. So, and a lot of people will say, you know, is Buddhism a nihilistic tradition? And when they say that, they just they hear the words of the Buddha or they might read uh, The Middle Way by Nagarjuna, uh, the Madhyamaka Karaka, and they, and, they, and they think that, oh, Buddhism just think that the, there's no self in this and that. And it's like, not technically. You're only saying that because you don't understand the five aggregates, and people will understand that more as we go on. So uh, it is the five aggregates that constitute the self. So they build, and what happens here is they build this kind of illusion of this uh, independent self. Yeah, so the sense of identity. Sense of identity. Yeah, self as me, persona, more more like. Yes. How we 
think that we exist independent of um, reality, of environment, or something like that. Yeah, the separate, the separate, isolated sense of self, right? Yeah. There's me and there's the world. Mm. It's uh, as Buddhism teaches, like with dependent origination, is that you know nothing is kind of really independent of itself. Like everything is kind of leans up against something, mm. and here. They take that idea to a deeper level in in talking about like as you said with the persona here the self. So and when we're saying self here, we're not meaning Atman in in, in Vedanta. That's a completely different thing. Um, self as a me as me yeah. idea of me as I, I like yeah mm. different than others exactly like, yeah separate from others and this sort of idea exactly yeah. whether there's a like an inner substantial essence basically is what buddhism is Mm. is speaking about like and and this this relates also to kind of the christian notion of like the soul right Mm. so whether there is a soul in an in an individual and buddhism really uh pinpoints this this idea of whether there's a soul you know slash persona that uh goes somewhere after death Mm. so so to speak but we'll talk more about that because you know obviously we're going to lean into the samskaras and and everything but but basically they are the building blocks to the f- the five aggregates are the building blocks to to build our sense of personal identity which what you were alluding to yes yes so they they are the ultimate grounds of identification and appropriation so they are what established the selfhood essentially yes again um the word samskara the the mental imprints uh, here it kind of sums up all five aggregates, I mm, think, mm. because form, feeling, perception, volition, formations, and consciousness, all these five um, stays a, as a memory within mm. us mm. and it creates its own kind of um, story mm. and um, mm. uh, story cycle, a pattern, whatever you want to call it. And yeah. that, yeah, stream of consciousness. Yes. And that stream of consciousness. Uh, as stays within our subconscious mind, which is samskaras, really like mm. mental imprints, and um, a lot of times those are dormant, so we're not consciously aware that we don't we even have that memory, mm. right? Mm. And whatever uh, happen, whatever is happening in that pre- present moment that uh, triggers uh, certain memories in the storehouse and down Where, yeah. wherever you are and within yourself so mm. that it uh, it brings the same response to what you had in the past in a similar situation uh, and you start believing um, that is as me mm. like mm. that um, yeah like whatever situation present to you and you reacted in a certain way oh I'm this kind of person like that sort of identity takes place kind of mm-hmm. just immediately. Like there is no time where we just start. Why did I do that? Again, why did I do that? Yeah, like, exactly. Why did I react in that way? Why mm-hmm. did I mm-hmm. get angry? Yes. Like so that we'd start to identify through that stream of consciousness, yeah. which is uh, samskara. Yeah. yeah. So then as we'll get, to get into later, are we, are we this I or are we just identifying with the stream and say, we will get into that process. And so I, I should say, and we've kind of alluded to, in Buddhism there's the, the sense, there's a Sanskrit term, anatman, which means the, the essentially the self is uh, empty, and um, which is, relates actually to 
the meontological perspective of Taoism as well, the, the, the perspective of, of nothingness within Taoism. And actually relates to Vedanta as well, because if you think about Atman, Atman is undifferentiated consciousness, which means it's kind of empty of uh, qualities. If you look at Naguna Brahman, it, it's qualityless, right? It's not Saguna Brahman with qualities. So Saguna Brahman would be like the, 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 the soul, so to speak, you know what I mean? Like the self with qualities and, yep. and so to speak, the world basically and so i just wanted to clear that up so we'll move on so the basically because of the five aggregates the common belief in our world as we've already uh, mentioned is that there's some sort of independent real self we we each and every one of us have an independent real self a separate an isolated separate sense of self and uh the buddha challenged this view you know, 2,500 years ago, and we're still, uh, you know, challenging it to this day, and we haven't really bore the fruit of of the Buddhist teachings. You know, it's very sad that I, again, I had a conversation between two scholars, and they were saying that in the, their study, and statistically, over 90 percent of the world population think very much like a westernized way mm, mm, mm. so this independent self yep. no matter you're asian or not nowadays at over 90 mm. percent which is very very dominant number yeah of course yeah. which is a, i think it's actually and it's concerning a little bit because mm. um the cognitive style of the east and of places like south america and africa are different to european people right so it's very concerning um, very. not not just european people i should say like north american and australian but like the the, the the origins of western thought is in europe obviously and so um to have that idea of especially of individualism in places such as korea mm. where which was once uh well it's the thing is that the cognitive style is still holistic but the way of thinking is transferred over to Yes. To individualism and this idea that everyone's a separate sense of self. Hence, there can be a lot of uh, confusion within, so as you know, because you, you are Korean and, you've, and we've lived, you're from there and we've lived there and mm -hmm. you see the way people <clears throat> can be there. And the, the, there's a friction between the two cognitive styles. Like they have this rich heritage and culture bumping up against this, you know. Just uh, yeah, westernized, westernized uh, individualistic, yes. and then they're off TikTok and then, you know, so forth and so on. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so the idea is that there is this independent sense of self with the substantial essence of a persona, right? Mm -hmm. So it's an independent entity. And actually, all the Eastern spiritual traditions, uh, deep, you know, they go in, into depth to debunk this illusion not just Buddhism, we're only explaining Buddhism here today for a specific reason, because, you know, especially because of the science of the Yogacara school. But And we, we, we kind of come to these this illusion because, you know, we, we, we live through the aggregates, right? And then we have this 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 experience, a subjective experience of being an, a, a conscious agent every yes. day. So once we have this experience of being a conscious agent, we start to believe then that we are this permanent soul or self that is going to live on and you know we're going to after death we're going to be playing uh 
pool with Gandhi and George Washington and you know Martin Luther King and we're going to be sipping tea and stuff like this. So we have all of these illusions that come from again the the independently uh, the independent sense of self. Because yes. see, you then are still going to live on after your life. You as yourself. Yes. I mean, mm. Guyang's going to be chilling with mm. you're going to be chilling with your grandma and your great grandma and you know yeah. this is all what's going to happen after your death and yes. so forth and so on. That's uh, that's common knowledge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we think of um, death and things like that. As a uh, my life and yes. my life after death and yeah. things like that. And so Buddha is challenged in this, the idea of my life. Yes, this is my life. Yep. Well, let's unpack that. Yep. But because are you a product of just the five aggregates? Mm. Because the Buddhist belief that the, the self is is only the constituents of the five aggregates, mm. so that's what uh, he he wants to challenge. So, so basically, the five aggregates develop this sense of self because they are built from you know a dependent a, a series of dependently arisen circumstances, right? So, or, or or events. Yes. So that's how the the five aggregates develop the sense of self. So we have the five aggregates as a human. And we go through life and we, we experience the events, as you were mentioning too, uh, about the accumulative sense of self. Mm-hmm. And then this creates this sense of persona. Yes. But we, we exclude that they're all dependently arisen set of events and circumstances. 100%. Mm-hmm. That build your, your sense of self. That's why a lot of people, you know, they, they throw off that phrase very uh, casually, you are your environment. Mm. And from a Buddhist perspective, there's a lot of truth to that. Mm. You are your environment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that when you change your environment, and that environment becomes part of you as well. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And that's why when someone's when you also change your environment, you can feel uncomfortable in a new environment because you're used to the circumstances in the other environment. You don't have that variation that Lao Tzu was talking about where you can just be like, Move through ride like the wind. Mm, yes. You know, you, mm. you, you can't ride like the wind. So mm. people have to realize that the self does exist in Buddhism, but it has the aggregates. Yes. So it's not a nihilistic tradition. It's not like, oh, it's not a fatalistic thing. Where, oh, what, what, we, we just don't exist. Yes. Like, no, you exist yes. to a certain degree. Yes. But not as, as firmly and permanently as you think. Yes. Um, again, the five aggregates uh, constitutes the sense of self here mm. and that five uh, aggregates once you unpacked what they are and again all the, these five aggregates are purely response or the reaction of a certain situation or events yep. so that reaction creates the idea of who you are yes it, yeah, so that, yeah, again, the feeling, form, perception, and all these things that creates um, and sensations, the sensations create the thoughts, and the thoughts creates this um, thoughts after thoughts. And so that is becoming, building the sense of that independent self. Mm. So the independent self is actually not independent at all then no <laughs> you purely depend on the, yeah. that very um a situation or mm. events well your sense of self is dependent your actual nature is shunyata mm. 
which yes. we'll, which we'll talk about. Which mm. is you know, um, so ex- exactly. So you, yourself exists uh, because of you know the causes and conditions that that actually inform your existence, right? Yes. So everything you've experienced has built this sense of persona, mm-hmm. and that's what you've accumulated through your whole life. And then you say, then you say, I. Mm-hmm. But then you think back and you think, well, what about I at 19? Can, mm-hmm. can I look at that I at 19 mm-hmm. and I now is 41? And are we the same mm-hmm. person? Completely different. Mm-hmm. Completely different. And, you know, psychologists talk about this a lot and this and that, where even that it gets to the stage where we actually change day to day. And a lot of people actually don't want to believe that. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's a lot of research where people try to hold on to, say, their 18th sense of self. And when they're 60, there's actually, psychologists say there's actually been a lot of psychological damage from trying to hold on to like a, a younger version of yourself. Because in, in some sense, and this actually supports the five aggregates, mm-hmm. you haven't actually experienced life. Mm-hmm. You're holding on to a set of beliefs and, a, and, and, and mm-hmm. probably where you were from, from a long, long time ago. But then you moved to Trinidad and Tobago. Then you moved to, you moved to <laughs> France and then Kenya. And then you're still supposed to be this guy from Queensland in Australia. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean you, that means you would have went through your life like this and didn't see anything, yeah. didn't experience anything, yeah. right? Yeah. Again, it's a, some reason... People want to hold on to that 19-year-old uh, point of view mm. to the world, mm. right? Mm. And uh, as if people often think that changing your perception towards the world is like a somewhat negative mm. thing, mm. so that you just try to re- remain at that uh, perception as a 19-year-old, and you keep that perception until you're 60. Mm-mm. So... You must you must have gone through a lot in life for like mm. that, yeah if they're forty years time it's a long time mm. right mm. so natural progression you're supposed to change yeah like 100%. other than nineteen year old that's mm. for sure yeah. but if you were to have still have the same perception and cling on to that uh, same perception as a nineteen year old when you're sixty then. Yeah, definitely there is some sort of psychological problem going on. It has to be, right? Yeah. Right. Well, what's common in most cultures when you... And I've, I've witnessed this in many different cultures, and you and I are pretty well-traveled, is people will often say, ah, he or she hasn't changed, and it's great. <laughs> hasn't changed. And it's like, why is that great? I don't understand why that's great. And first of all, it's not a real accurate statement because you're... People say that usually because they may still like certain things. Mm. You know, you know what I mean. They may still like a certain sporting team, or they may still act maybe a certain way. But in in reality, they've changed actually quite substantially from, you know, in in a decade, for example. And in that situation, whoever uh, the person who were praising the other person in that way, him or herself is resisting change. They're resisting change themselves. Yeah. That's why they think. Um, being um, growing up and, and being more mature and having uh, a change in life is something like not very good. Mm. That's how they see it. So that they think not changing is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. because change frightens people. Mm. Change, and, and first of all, because change starts to tear mm. down the artifice of your own persona. 
See, when you start to change and you, st- you actually, if, you, if, you, if you're a contemplative person and you think deeply, you, you start to realize that maybe who I am is not really actually who I am. Mm. You know, I'm holding on to this sense of self. Yes. But change is changing me. Yes. So to speak. Yes. Because you are part of the dependently arisen world. Your sense of self is part of the world. It's not isolated and independent of the world. It's actually a process of the world, which, which we'll get into. But um, that's what we need to understand. So our sense of self exists to the degree that it's, it's the five aggregates. So, you know, and we've been explaining it, but we've got to explain more why the self is considered like this persistent illusion, according to the Buddha, you know what I mean? First of all, we can, like if we look at the, the, the aggregates and we look at the teachings of the Buddha, the, the, the aggregates can uh, be, in some sense, annihilated through the Eightfold Noble Path of mm. Buddhism, right? So um, this brings each aggregate to an end. Mm. So... So, you know, the, the, the medicine for this process is, is the Eightfold Noble mm. Path. And most people are probably familiar with that, you know, the right speech, right action, right mindfulness, so forth and so on. And that brings uh, the, that sense of uh, that each aggregate, it, it, you know, ends its process, yeah. so to speak. But that, that comes with intense sadhana, intense spiritual practice yes. for that to happen. It's not something that you can just go, oh, I'm just going to read the Nikayas and just... I think it's just really lifelong process. Yes. You, there is no end destination to get to. It's, no. it's a, again, the practice itself being a process, mm. it's a constant an effort and constant study, I think. Yes, yes. Once we found this knowledge and once we realize how much uh, important it is for every one of us to get into, then yes. you need to just carry on for the rest of your life, basically. Exactly. And that's why when monks and uh, sadhus and so forth and so on, when they are uh, entering Mahasamadhi, mm. they're still practicing. You know, They're still upright in posture. They're dying. Mm. You know, like Everyone knows that, but it's... Even though they don't, they don't have the energy, they make sure the people around them put them into a lotus posture. And um, in some sense, as we know in South India, especially, they will uh, build a big uh, chamber mm. for uh, uh, particularly a, uh, a sadhu, and they will put them down there in a, in a lotus posture, and then they'll cover the hole, and, and that's how they're going to enter that next stage, you know? Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. So... Um, you know, it's a. I mean, it's pretty for other people. That's pretty hectic, right? Like they go, yeah. "What? I'm going to end my life in darkness?" Well, you, it's it, it's going dark. It's uh, a <laughs> uh, it con, con, uh, conscious dying process. Conscious dying process. Yeah, mm. dying consciously, not just dying consciously, like to, to you know the death of your ego. Actually, the physical di- physically as well. as well. And so that's what a lot of um, monks and sadhus, like that sadhu tradition and or yogic tradition of South India is, mm-hmm. um, it's pretty eye-opening, you know what I mean? Like they dig a very deep chamber, like someone's five meters deep, and then they put the ladder down, they go and they put the person down there in a posture and, see bud? And just <laughs> walk back up, cover it with uh, like, you know, a stone or something like that, and then mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. And obviously they'll come back in a couple of days and or a day or two and and, yeah. 
Okay. So, it, it, you know, it can be quite revealing, right? Mm. So. Yeah, um, that is to overcome fear of death and mm. fear of being complete alone, darkness. And, and being committed to the practice, as you were mentioning. Yes. Being committed to practice. Not even, not even in, their, in the most painful moment of their life, mm. physically, I mean, the suffering that mm. they're experiencing uh, physically, still making sure, make mm. sure you put me down there, mm. make sure... You follow what I'm saying. I don't, I, don't, I don't need to see anyone else. You know, I've, I've lived. Actually, that's really inspiring. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, that much you're committed. Your commitment is that um, strong. Like. To the last minute. Yeah. To the last minute. Mm. So there is no independent sense of self or soul uh, independent from the world that exists. And that's what we've been trying to, you know, get across here from the five aggregates and, and what the Buddha teaches. And so, but the problem is people believe in this illusion, right, of this independent sense of self, hence conflict and, and everything arises. And so, and this all comes from, because we, we believe we are this, we don't, we don't look at ourselves as part of the world, right? We see ourselves as separate from the world. The world's out here, we are here. Uh, we only, we, we exist to get stuff from the outside world to nourish our existence, but we don't, think of ourselves as actually part of this process. So we think we are this stationary phenomenon. This stationary phenomenon that's outside the scope of the world, that's different from the world in some sense. And our mentality is our own. Our psychology is our own. It's not the product of the aggregates. And so uh, we think we're outside the field of change, the process of existence itself. But we are a process of change. And so... But then it makes us see what we do is we create all of these things about ourselves as we've we go on a bit as we've talked about on the podcast so much. We create all of this conditioning that tries to solidify this independent sense of self, and then we can't sort of jump outside of that. We can't, uh, you know, we kind of imprison ourselves within the process of change, which doesn't give us then this uh, fluidity with existence, uh, where we can move, so to speak, with the Tao, without being stuck anywhere and so we suffer then yeah um again we create this uh we solidify our identity through five aggregates Mm. and we create this idea of who who we are who Mm. who i am Mm. right who Mm. i am who you are and that identity is so concrete Mm. and we try to always stick to that identity that who we think we are, right? Mm, yep. Yeah. So as you mentioned, when change is inevitable, mm. let's say, for example, we've, we've made this example so many times. We lived in, uh, we lived in, yes, very developed, everything is taken care of in the first world countries like um, Australia, mm. America, mm. Korea, anywhere. And then, we get dropped into, uh, let's say, Bangladesh yeah, or yeah, yeah. in Dhaka, yeah. swimming with the people, or <laughs> yeah. um, in India, yeah. Calcutta, oh, yeah. get there three in the morning when oh, there yeah, is yeah. nothing to open. My bread and butter. <laughs> <laughs> then if that's the situation, literally, mm. from like A to Z, basically, yeah. then you, you have to 
change. You have to yeah. learn to adapt. Yeah. You have to adapt, right? yeah. yeah. So then that identity that you've been actually possessed by yeah, exactly. for the entire your life, Mm-mm. up until that time, you have to put put that in the bin. Yeah. You have to change. Mm. Because everything operates differently in different world, mm-hmm. And yep. you, you have to be able to change. But again, like you mentioned, when that sort of change occur, we freak out. Mm. That's why we have so much anxiety. We don't know what to do. And, yep. you know, and that's why that we, are, we become disabled to adapt to change. Yes. Which is, I think, which is a big problem. Again... Uh, again, so in, when that happens in psychologically, it uh, has, as you mentioned earlier, with the we meet with lots of conflict, argument, mm. only because we are not able to change psychologically, yes. and the psychological change is a big challenge. Why? We've been believing the sense of who we are under certain conditions. Mm. And the conditions are so hard and strong, mm. while we don't even really realize we're always there dormant. Yeah. And then that has to change. That that change comes with fear. Mm. Why? Because you need to uh, deny that self was was in the past. It's yes. not you anymore. Right. Yeah. It's not stationary. It's not permanent. And as you mentioned with India, if anyone wants to deprogram themselves, somewhere dropping yourself in somewhere like India will begin the deprogramming process pretty quick. I remember moving there when I was younger and then layers of identity and personality just get stripped away. And and it's a good thing. You know, it's not like it's a bad thing. But what you notice is that, especially, you know, for myself and you experienced this too as a Korean when you moved there, uh, coming from Australia to moving to India and, and living there and just, you know, being absorbed in the culture and the teachings is that... Um, you, you start to actually fight with yourself. Yes. Because you're f- there's a battle between what's actually happening mm. and who you've been programmed to believe you were. But that program doesn't exist. The program only made sense in a certain culture and in a certain environment. But now um, what's being called upon you is, is change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and when you're in somewhere like India, you feel the layers of persona in that peel away and fall away. And um, and you and I are the fruit of living in those places. You know, a lot of people say to me, as you know, because mm. you hear this question a lot, is you know, how did I learn so much and, and this and that? Is it from being in great places and, this and, that? and basically, it was mainly from traveling. You know what I mean? And putting myself in a situation, and same with you, where we were outside the scope of our ordinary environment. And of course, we're learning the great traditions and stuff like that. Yes. But Experientially, the learning outside of lecture room, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Physical contact with a different culture. Yeah, exactly. First, engrossed, first engrossed in the culture, right? Like not just hanging there, like where we are in it, and so that just peels the layers of a persona away. Mm. And that happens to anyone. They, yes. they actually can go anywhere and do that. So the thing is that we, you know we invest a lot. We we invest so much into the so-called sense of selfhood, right? The, the sense of Jason or Guy Young or whoever's listening and watching. Um, but then when change comes along, we we have that sense of anxiety. As I said, when in India, and I'm like, oh, like you're in Varanasi, and like just nothing works. Nothing works. So it doesn't matter what you want to try. Nothing's going to work. Yeah, everything goes wrong. Everything goes wrong. <laughs> and you've really got to then you know be shanti and just. Okay, like, 
I, I, I'm going to try this today, but it's highly likely, <laughs> highly likely that it's not going to work. Yes. But if you set out and you go gung ho, like, I'm going to do this today, you're going to. Remember that day we tried to hire a bicycle in Tiru? Oh my God, yeah. We, that was really like we set the goal we're gonna do this and yeah. we're gonna ride around Arunachala that's yeah. what we're gonna yeah. do today yeah. oh yeah that plan didn't go just as something as simple as going to yeah. hire a bike it didn't it turns into a Hollywood film very yes. quick a big debacle <laughs> so you know yeah uh, so the five aggregates are the self as I keep as I keep mentioning here yeah but they're not an inner essence mm-hmm. It did, as we mentioned last week with the, the five uh, patternings of in, in yogic thought, they are kind of a, a functioning of the persona, of they're, they're the constituents of the constitution of a, of a human being's uh, psychosomatic organism, yes. how we experience the world. Mm. And uh, the problem is, but through those uh, five aggregates, we, the unfortunate habit of building a, uh, the illusion of a self can happen. Without any, like, because we don't have, a lot of us don't have prior training. No. Our awareness has not been trained. No. And so in Eastern spirituality, as we know, we're constantly training the awareness, coming back and abiding as the awareness, because the awareness is uh, separate. Separate's a bad word, right? But, like, it's not uh, part of the five aggregates. It, it can see the five aggregates as an object in and of themselves. So There's a bit of a gap. There's a gap, mm. right? The problem is, is when the, the awareness gets uh, entangled with the aggregates, then we believe I am this separate sense of self and, you know, I don't like what he or she said. And, and That's when we start to um, have this a false sense of belief based on the yep. five aggregates. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so the self essentially then, if we look at it from that process, if we look at it from that perspective, is a process. And... Evan Thompson uh, mentions in uh, Waking Dreaming Being, highly recommend anyone go out and read that book, this idea of I-in. <laughs> so, you know, it's a process. It's a, it's a happening, a constant happening, which is a, a borrowed concept from the, the Hindu ahamkara, ahamkara mm-hmm. which is I-making. Mm-hmm. So ah- ahamkara is I-making. It's the, it's the idea that we have this I that is constantly, it's just a process. So, what we think of as ourselves is a process. Hmm. So it, it's kind of mind-blowing, right? Like It is mind-blowing that, like you said, um, yeah, 20 years ago, I and now I, two completely different persons. Actually, physically, we're different too. Yeah. Like we, are, we just don't see, but we do shed skin, literally. Yeah. Like we physically go through, I mean, hair growing... Nails growing, yeah. we chop them off, and physically we are also changing. So that um, biologically, psychologically, we are completely different people. Yeah, mm. I basically would be like this to my nineteen-year-old Jason. I'd be like, <laughs> "Oh, is this guy serious? Like, he needs a few slaps around the ear hole, you know? <laughs> Wake up to yourself." Yeah. So we are this process, and so that's really something that you know, should really hit the nail on the head for a lot of people when they think about themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and, and this is why it's important to understand this in Eastern spirituality, this idea of I-making, this idea that your persona is an accumulative sense of self. It's a product of 
the world. Yes. It's not you, mm. essentially. It's not the pure awareness. It's not the, the Atman or, or the Shunyata mm. or the, you know, it's, it's not any of that. It's, it's not the Tao. It's, it's a, a, an accumulation of the world that we exist in mm. due to the five aggregates. Yes. Now, we'll get into the Yogacara school of Mahayana Buddhism because it's one of the best explanations of this pr- process itself, of this eye-making process. And the Yogacara school of Mahayana Buddhism is you know, a, a, a massive part of Mahayana philosophy um, because around that time we have, we have the Yogacara schools with the Madhyamaka schools with Nagarjuna. I mean, there's so many great schools. And so Yogacara is basically a mind science and there's three mm-hmm. core components that we have to talk about. So the first one is Alaya Vigyana. So Alaya Vigyana is basically the samskaras and, and Alaya Vigyana is the most, and as you were talking about before, it's one of the most important actually the most important thing to understand within this mind science to understand the process of self. And so that's basically the subliminal rep- you know, repository of psychological propensities. So that's mm-hmm. the storehouse consciousness. Um, like, yeah, subconscious data bank. The subconscious data bank. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It is. It really is. The dormant data. Yeah, dormant data, yeah, mm-hmm. that we all have, right? Yeah, we all do. Yeah. And we access that dormant data and then we think that that's who we are. Yes. The second one is Manovigyana. Now, Manovigyana is the attention to mental states. So it's basically just a mental consciousness. Mm. So the attention to mental states. And then there is Manas. Manas is basically the pre-attentive awareness. Mm. So these three uh, explain it beautifully. Um, and we're going to unpack those. And... First, we'll start with our manovigyana. So manovigyana is uh, the mental consciousness that takes in, you know, the mental states as objects of attention. So emotions, yep. thoughts that, that yep. arise. Exactly, yeah. it's pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how we uh, sort of a, a, a emotionally relate yes. to the world, and when the emotions and thoughts arise, we instantly look at it. Yeah, and not only just looking at, it, we follow that. We follow right? that, right? Yeah. So it be completely uh, kind of taking over your mind, basically, in that moment. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. And then we have the manas. So manas is the the pre-attentive mind, which provides the feeling of being a conscious subject. Mm-hmm. So it gives you the feeling of being the conscious subject. Yes. And this is actually where all the trouble begins, mm-hmm. and which we will explain because if you don't. Uh, understand this yogacara mind science then the pre-attentive awareness can as you said can follow the mental consciousness due to the stream of consciousness the alaya vigyana and then then you're daydreaming then you're daydreaming you're gone you're gone yeah <laughs> then you believe in the process mm. you, you've you've bought the ticket to the process and the film is just constant this is not like a this is not a premiere, like a, a movie premiere. This is like a this is like a live stream that just ongoing, <laughs> like a YouTube live stream, and you're just following. Pretty much following it, you know. Yes. And so the most important to know out of these three, as we met, as I mentioned, was is the Alaya Vigyana, which is basically the samskaras as well, right? So this is this uh, well, this unpacks the whole self as the illusion. So this is the as I mentioned and as Guy mentioned is the storehouse consciousness that has. You know, all of the habits and propensities of an individual, mm. habits, tendencies, you know, 
the way we act. Everything. Memories, it contains everything. Everything, everything. Yeah. Because our subconscious, uh, conscious, subconsciousness field, it takes on everything. Like, yes. um, we might not remember uh, what color of the car was at a certain moment, mm. consciously. Mm. But, like, when you do something completely different and ages later, mm. all of a sudden you kind of remember it. Yes, is all just everything. everything. everything um, that wipes your. So the, just the things that we've experienced through five senses: what we've seen, what we've smelled, mm. right? What we've t- tasted, what we heard, everything. What everything. we physically felt, everything. Yeah. Yes, and um, that again entangled with a certain circumstantial. A thing, whatever event that occurred to you, uh, goes with the five senses. Hmm. So that a uh, certain person made you angry, and then your heart bumping. That we get into then the psychosomatic organism. Then mm-hmm. right, like mm-hmm. when we, uh, we when we get ang- angry, then like uh, the heart rate goes up, then you start sweating, or mm-hmm. all these kind of responses. And mm-hmm. All everything, all that, that things are. Restored in um, yeah. some scars within ourselves, and that anger uh, is a, you may experience something now, mm. but that anger is from a past experience that's been stored in the in the alaya vigyana, but it identi- it somewhat identifies with the present experience, yes. and so then it overlays the anger onto that person. Yeah, when and when uh, you get angry in and at that present moment, you are so angry without you even knowing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because that is uh, subconscious. Yes, that's yeah. right. And but then origin of anger could be come from their past experience. Yes, that's right. That's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. So, as you said, this is this is like a data bank of all experience, mm-hmm. right? Like, say we have this bank, mm-hmm. and we are not conscious of this stream. Yes. And so this is where the mind's cognitive error happens. And this is, as I said, with the pre-attentive mind, the pre-attentive mind is actually where all the trouble occurs. So, and what I mean by the mind's cognitive error is the pre-attentive mind identifies with the subconscious content. It identifies with the data bank. Mm -hmm. And then you have all sorts of problems because the Alaya Vigyana, as you were alluding to, is built on all experiences. It doesn't mean that all experiences uh, are actually essentially, you know, we had any sort of emotional relationship to it. You could have walked past a, you know, a billboard the other day and that left an impression which is then going to evoke a certain res- uh, response within the stream. It's going to produce a certain effect within the stream. And then you, then the pre-attentive mind then follows that stream and you go, wonder why I did that. You saw a billboard the other day. It was completely unrelated to you. But you, it recorded and then you played out the, the film. Yes. So this is where all of the trouble begins. So, you know, the, the pre-attentive mind, as I said, it identifies with the sub, subconscious content, right? And then it designates this stream coming from the store, so the storehouse, as our eye or our ego. Yes. So. Yeah, and yeah, you identify yourself as that um, state of mind. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm like this, how oh, you just get disappointed. Like, mm-hmm. I, I got tr- triggered by that mm-hmm. uh, 
I got angry. I'm mm. such a useless person. And like, but you, but you, but it's yeah. not who you are. Yeah, it's a stream. Yes, exactly. Yeah. See, that's the funny thing, isn't it? That's why, again, like, that's why that awareness is so important. That mm. that it's it's eyeing, eye making yes. process. Mm. That, that is mm. the we are in a constant process, but we not we are not aware of that fact. Mm. Then we are solidifying who we are as uh, emotions and thoughts and reactions and whatnot. And mm. Then you start judging yourself and you're criticizing yourself and all these uh, trouble happens. Exactly. Mm. See, when you, when, you, when you just nut it down, that the, the stream is not who you are. The Alea Vigyana and the Samskaras are just a storehouse. They're just a part of the process, you know, a part of being a psychosomatic organism it's yes. part of the mind itself yes. but we, we're not told that six right hey guy be careful about your samskaras you don't want to get <laughs> you don't want to identify that with them you have never heard this right you just go to school and you just barge your way through life and then and, and then off you go mm. you, you know, <laughs> it's just like you know you just you, you're given your, your bag and you go you know get out there that you've got no roadmap be a good person and yeah. uh, don't fight with your friends and yeah. all these things yeah you know? generic things yeah but not actually the knowledge as to why you how you won't fight with your friends mm. how you won't come in a conflict because then you can understand the stream of consciousness exactly so the storehouse consciousness the alaya vigyana the samskaras the subliminal data bank is actually not an ego we need to really try and reinforce that mm. it's constantly changing it's not a substantial mm. thing mm. constantly changing the stream is always changing mm. but we think it's a constant thing as you said we see that and we say that's i that's that's it. why did i do that yeah, yeah, again yeah. again I, yeah you're a victim of the stream yes don't put your toe in the water why did i that i is not it's not no, no not no, that no. Mm. So you know, in understanding that, then we understand that then the the self is a mental fabrication. It's not really, um, it's not a substantial thing. It's a mental fabrication, mm-hmm. and that's why I say it, the self still exists according to Buddhism. But it's not like it's not how we kind of think of it stereotypically. You know what I mean? Like yes. it's not mm-hmm. like you have a stationary, permanent sense of Guy Young. Mm. And I just wanted to re-mention this thing. I really like what you said, that uh, this process, the mind's cognitive error, that cognitive error, like we have a cold and hot, hot cognition, and cold is making the rational decisions. Hot mm. cognition is more so like emotional and mm. uh, a quick reaction. Yes. Uh, but I think somehow that, because we are so uneducated, with the such thing as um, pure awareness and mm. eightfold path and this kind of um, Eastern tradition, the mind science, mm. so that our core cognition are also somewhat dormant to uh, make a distinction between what's real and what's not, mm. right? In yep. when we observe ourselves, right? So that in that sense, like uh, the process of studying the Eastern. Eastern spiritual, the, the philosophy, the mind science, is to kind of retrain our core cognition mm. and educating our core cognition to prevent this to happen. Yes. To prevent this cognitive error to happen. Yes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm. 100%, because it's a cognitive error, it's only going to continue 
to cause you suffering and, and cause suffering for others. Yes. So it's not just a happening like, oh, that's just like an um, instinctual thing that we judge ourselves with our emotions and thoughts and this and that. No. But it actually, a science, scientifically, it, it is a cognitive error. Yeah. That uh, how our cognition somewhat being disabled in that very moment, we lose uh, control of uh, seeing uh, what's real and what's not. Yeah. Mm. And often, you know, what's real and what's not is we, we, we may see the apparent, right, in the external world, but what's happening, what you see in here, mm. completely different. Yes. It's like this out here, but then in here you interpret it this way. This is Maya, right? You start then to yes. misinterpret the reality yes. as, you know, misperception as being a, a pattern yes. of consciousness in yoga. And then next minute, you're not really seeing the reality as it truly is, and that can be affected by the stream. Mm. The stream will, as you mentioned before, you can have an, an experience of anger, but that experience of anger in the present moment was built on an experience of anger in the past. Someone may have slapped you on the face and you saw someone you know, warming up for a fight or something like that and doing this, and then the next minute, for some reason, anger arises. You get angry, like, what are they doing that for? Like, you know, so the pre-attentive mind makes the error, mm-hmm. as you were saying. The cold cognition makes the error. If we relate it to cognitive science, the pre-attentive mind will be, would be related to the, to the cold cognition. Mm-hmm. So what actually exists is the mental representation of the idea of self superimposed on the changing mental and physical states. Mm. You understand? Mm. So that's what actually exists. So that's mm. why it's a mental fabrication, as, as what you were saying. Mm. You're superimposing it onto the the changing panorama not just of the physical reality but also what's going on within your own mm-hmm. mind mm-hmm. and then you have this then sense of self you think mm-hmm. you've constructed it you've built it you're basically like a kid in the on the beach building a sandcastle but we're, but we're the killed building a beach on the sandcastle our whole life that's why uh, people say that the life is repeating itself. Mm. That's the repeating process. That's how it happens, right? Yes. Although yes. we really want to change it, yep. it just repeats itself. Why? Because the storehouse consciousness is too full, overflowing. Yep. Overflowing, yeah. Mm. And we all experience that storehouse consciousness to differing degrees, right? Like, so, some, so f- for someone who's not um, spiritually mature or, or had, had any training, they will not even know that there is a storehouse consciousness and that they're kind of unconscious with the whole process as opposed to someone who's an experienced meditator and someone who's a contemplative or they practice self-inquiry something like this they understand their relationship to the storehouse consciousness or their awareness understands its relationship to the storehouse consciousness now as we explained the alayavigyana and the samskaras the stream of consciousness is is a kind of an is a process according to the five aggregates and you think that this is your sense of self right so but then we have to ask ourselves: does this mean that the stream of consciousness is not ours okay you know so now it's it's yours to the extent that you experience it in your field of consciousness yes and that's it mm. that's the final line about it it's yours to that degree mm. but it doesn't really belong to you mm. you know yeah, just within your field of awareness. It's with, within your field of awareness. Mm. Something you've accumulated, you know, it's like you went for a long marathon run in the desert. 
and you're as dusty as hell by the time you get home, you know. Mm. But all you need is a good shower and, you know, freshen up to clean all that out. Yes. The freshen up here and the, in regards to what we're talking about is abiding more as the awareness mm. and being more observant and not entangling your awareness within the stream of consciousness. Yes. That builds this idea of the, the self that makes you suffer. Then. Yes. Yes, again, yeah, the, the problem is identification with it as yourself. As yourself, mm. exactly. You know, it's only you to the extent that you're experiencing it. So mm. a lot of people have to get out of the habit of identifying with the stream of consciousness, as mm. we've mentioned, because as long as you keep that game going, mm. you will continue to suffer yeah. and you will continue to make others suffer mm. because you have those beliefs yes. in that stream. Yeah, um, you mentioned in the, one of the videos that yeah, to be free from this illusion is to dismantle the five aggregates. Yes. Yeah. And, and we dismantle that through the Eightfold Noble Path. Yes. We dismantle that through uh, sincere sadhana, you know. That's how we dismantle it. And, mm. uh, and not, you know, being fooled by the, the stream. Yeah. Not being fooled by the samskaras mm. and, 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 and the layer of Vigyana. Not getting tricked by it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, again, even Yogacara school, people will think, oh, well, that's even nihilistic. But it's it's not. It, it's not a nihilistic extreme. As Ch- Chandrakirti, uh, one of the great Buddhist scholars of the Madhyamaka sc- uh, school, he explained that the self, as we've mentioned constantly mm-hmm. through this podcast, mm-hmm. is, is dependently arisen. So it exists dependent on a multitude mm-hmm. of causes and conditions. That's how the self exists. It's not that it, it doesn't exist, but it, 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 it's, it exists depending on causes and conditions. Yes. Um, but the, it's not permanent. Not lasting. Not lasting. It's not something that's intrinsic to you. Mm. You borrowed it. Yes. And you, you're, you're a process of it mm. through your life. And it, once we're aware of that, it, mm. we also need to let that go in the stream of consciousness. Mm. Yes. Instead of holding on to it. So... Is the self an illusion? It is an illusion when we believe it is independent. When we believe it's independent, it's an illusion because then we act and feel as though we are independent. Mm. And we're not. We are a dependent product of certain causes and conditions. Yes. The sense of self, I mean, mm. like, which is completely different than shunyata. But this is the a, a cognitive error and an illusion, right? Our self is dependent. We are, you know... We are not the isolated rational agents that we think we are. We're definitely not. And so the Buddhist conclusion is we need to stop investing in this yes. in this illusion. Mm. And we have to understand that deep down at, at our core we are shunyata. We're yes. empty. Yeah. So that, that's our Buddha nature. That's right. Because yeah, uh, when the strong stream of consciousness comes and goes, it means like it, it things formate within yourself mm. and once it's gone it's empty mm. it's like it's constant process of that forming and emptying forming and emptying yes yeah so that again yeah yeah our true nature is that emptiness that yes. sunyata sunyata yeah. yeah and the forming is just that um, momentary yes occurrence exactly so the radical corrective to this cognitive error that we need to apply to this illusion is to dismantle as we said the five aggregates 
through the Noble Eightfold Path of the Buddha. Mm -hmm. So, guys, we hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you guys next time.